0: Hey, friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to His love and His desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. I want to start this morning uh, by talking about what I want to call the math of formation. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, I think that we are prone to conceive of formation as a work of addition, meaning that when it comes to being formed in the image of Christ, we think about adding Christ-like attitudes, adding Christ-like thinking, adding biblical behavior to our lives. So ultimately, our formation becomes about adding what's necessary to become something that we're not. And and even as you hear that this morning, you might kind of nod along thinking like, well, yeah, that that sounds like exactly what formation is. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to propose that the Bible actually teaches formation by subtraction. Meaning that the true work of formation is less about adding what's necessary to become something we're not. And it's more about the work of God stripping away everything that obstructs what we are, what we truly are. And, and where I get to this is thinking about the metaphor that scripture uses over and over again of refining, Uh, I even have a couple of examples that I brought this morning. The first is in Psalm 66, 10. Listen to this. It says, for you, God tested us. You refined us as silver is refined. Then if we skip ahead to Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, we read, look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. In Zechariah 13, 9, we read, I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And then as we come to the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Peter writes, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So think about this metaphor of refining, especially in ancient times. The way that refining happened was that silver was was put into fire so that it would heat up. And as it heated up, all of the impurity that was attached to it would separate. It would be removed. And then all that remained was the pure silver. And so because scripture uses this metaphor so often, what we learn is that spiritual formation is not so much about adding things to become something that you're not. Spiritual formation is about subtracting everything that keeps us from being who we actually are. I mean, think about it. The Bible says you are an image bearer of God. Like each and every one of us, we carry the divine image. Image The problem is we also have what feels like these endless layers of impurity obstructing our ability to live out of who God says we are. And as I was thinking about that this week, I kept thinking about uh, a, a famous quote by the Renaissance artist Michelangelo. Uh, he was a painter, but he was also a sculptor, and he had this to say about sculpting. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to de- discover it. The sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Now, here's the thing. I think that Jesus would say the same thing to you and I. When it comes to our formation, you are who he has created you to be. His life-giving work in the desert is one of chiseling away all the superfluous material. That's what our formation is. And so the question that we want to wrestle with this morning is how, how exactly does the spirit of God do that work? And it's to that end that Jesus invites us to embrace our cross to embrace our cross. And I want to start with this big idea this morning. So if you're here and you're a note taker and like to write things down, uh, make a note of this. I come alive in Christ when I answer the daily call to embrace my cross. Let me say that again. I come alive in Christ when I answer the daily call to embrace my cross. Now, I want to be careful this morning to not think about the idea of embracing our cross in the theoretical sense. I want to be as practical as we possibly can. And I specifically want to point us to two key ingredients that make embracing our cross practical. Those two ingredients are awareness and agreement. And we're going to talk about those more in just a second. But I want to turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter nine. So if you have a Bible or a mobile app that you like to read on, why don't you go ahead and open up to Luke chapter nine. Um, I'm going to meet you in verse 23 in just a second. And while you're finding Luke chapter nine, I want to kind of set the scene for what's happening here. So as Jesus is spending more and more time with his disciples, his relationship with them is developing. He's been with them for a season of time now. And as that time and relationship increases and grows, one of the things that he's doing is further unpacking his plan for them. And so he has prophesied that he is going to give his life and that he is going to uh, rise again from the dead. And so in the midst of one of these times in Luke chapter 9, Peter, to his credit, declares that Jesus is the Messiah. But even though Jesus or Peter was able to identify Jesus as the Messiah, and even though the conviction of the disciples was continuing to grow that Jesus was the Messiah, there was still so much confusion in their minds regarding specifically the type of Messiah that he would be. Because remember, the first century Jew had their own preconceived ideas about what the Messiah was going to come and to do. And primarily, their expectation was one of a military Messiah, that he was going to come and he was going to liberate them from the foreign powers that had control and rule over them. And so it's Jesus who steps into this space and, and wants to, to correct their expectation regarding the type of Messiah that he would be. So he steps into that space, and he begins to predict over and over again that rather than being this kind of all-powerful military Messiah, he was going to be crucified, and then he was going to rise from the dead. And he also wanted them to understand how his own sacrifice was meant to serve as an example for them. And so that brings us up to Luke chapter nine, beginning in verse 23. Let me read verses 23, 24, and 25 to you. Listen to this. It says, then Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? All right. Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily find this to be Jesus most attractive invitation, right? I mean, like he, he says, if anybody wants to follow me, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and, and, and follow me. And so remember, when we, when we think about a cross, oftentimes in, in our, like for those of us that come from some sort of Christian religious background, we think of the cross and we equate it with Jesus' crucifixion. But oftentimes in our culture, we think of a cross as like something beautiful or ornate or a piece of jewelry. But in the first century, the cross was none of those things. It was a literal source Of execution. So there was nothing beautiful about what Jesus was inviting them to. He was inviting them to take up this instrument of death in their lives. So this would have been very, very shocking. And so, like, the the notion that someone in the first century, like, they wouldn't have seen this, but if they if they saw, like, someone wearing a piece of jewelry with a cross, that would have been insane. It would be like, imagine seeing someone in our culture wearing a necklace that was like an electric chair around their neck. You'd think that person was a complete psycho. And so, this would have been very, very shocking language for Jesus to use. and it, And it had to feel... Somewhat disorienting to them because to this point, if you think about it, following Jesus for them had been relatively easy in the sense that following him was largely made up of listening to compelling teaching, um, experiencing these mind blowing miracles over and over and over again, and then seeing people and experiencing themselves being healed of virtually any ailment. And so I, I would argue that to this point, following Jesus had probably felt relatively comfortable. And so I imagine the disciples sitting around Jesus as he's getting ready to teach them yet again, and them sort of pulling forward, desperate to to know how to keep experiencing the benefits that they have already tasted. And so Jesus says, man, if if anyone, if any of you wants to, wants to follow me. So I just imagine them like pulling in close, really anticipating, all right, what's he going to say? What else are we going to learn right here? And then Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I can promise you that there would have been tremendous shock in them in response to what Jesus said, and probably a fair amount of disappointment as they listen to these very sobering words. But in these sobering words, I think that we see these two really critical ingredients uh, ingredients for embracing our cross. So again, if you're taking notes this morning, you might want to make a note of these two things. Number one, embracing your cross means awareness of unlikeness. Embracing your cross means awareness of unlikeness. And here's what I mean by that. Being formed in the image of Christ means becoming aware of these points of unlikeness in our lives. Remember, the Spirit of God's intent is, is to form us in the image of Christ. And so because his intent is to form us in the image of Christ, it would follow that his attention is going to be focused on the parts of us that are out of step with Jesus. Those layers that obstruct us from being who we truly are in Christ. And this is why one writer on the topic of spiritual formation says that the first dynamic of holistic spirituality is confrontation. Meaning that Jesus is constantly confronting these points of unlikeness in us. And he's doing that gently and patiently and with great compassion and love and care. But make no mistake, he is confronting these things in us nonetheless. And even though it is not comfortable, it is critical for us. And one of the reasons it's so critical is that we, we will not seek healing in an area that we don't know we're sick. Agreed? Like if, if if you have an if you have a lack of awareness around something that is going on inside of you, you're not gonna seek healing if you don't if you don't know you're sick in that area. And in fact I, I have a friend that I I spoke with this week who has been really frustrated because they've been struggling with some health issues and really have not gotten clarity. Uh, they know like something is not right. Something's going on, but doctors have had a really hard time identifying any, it. And it's been frustrating because again, there's, there's no There's no direction for treatment. There's nothing that can be until someone has some sense of what's going on. No healing can really be pursued. And then just this week, there finally was a little bit of progress in that, some clarity around here's what we think is going on. And so. A couple of things happen in that. One is it's, it, it's very sobering to, in fact, learn like, wow, I, I do have something in me that isn't right, that is sick, that is unhealthy, but it also sets the direction for treatment. We won't seek healing in an area that we don't know we're sick. And this is, in a very similar way, what Jesus is always doing in our lives. He is making us aware of these points of unlikeness in us so that he can seek healing with us. And so I I would, I would describe this process as an uncomfortable grace. It isn't comfortable obviously to have these points of unlikeness confronted in us, but it is grace. It's a gift to us, which means we need to lean into the very means by which the spirit of God uses to make us aware of these points of unlikeness and there are a number of different ways that he does this. One of the most obvious, if not the most obvious, is the scriptures. One of the questions that we can and must ask every time we read the Bible is, is where does this particular verse, where does this story, where does this description of God, where does it reveal a point in my life that is unlike Jesus? How does, where does this text reveal a point of unlikeness in me? And I'll give you an example just in my own life, how this happened this morning. This morning, in my own uh, reading, I was reading in uh, Luke chapter 22, and I was reading the last half of that chapter. So it's just after Jesus has celebrated the last Passover uh, dinner with his disciples, and they've gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and and he tells them, he gives them very specific instruction. He says, wait here uh, and pray. That you don't fall into temptation. Remember, he's been predicting to them everything that's about to take place. And now the time has come. And so he's saying, hey, sit here and pray that you do not fall into temptation. And then Jesus walks off to a, a, a secluded area in the garden. And then he prays. And he prays a couple of different things, but he he is admittedly praying for for his own strength, his own help from the father to be able to carry out what he's been called to. And he comes back. And where does he find the disciples doing? Not praying, they're sleeping. So he wakes them up, gives them the same instruction. Three times this happens. And it's interesting because then when these soldiers come, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he's going to be arrested. We see two very different um, Two very different realities come out of this experience. The disciples do all fall to temptation. They all abandon Jesus. They all run away. And Jesus, as we know, stands firm and sees his mission through to completion. And so I bring this up because this is an example for me just this morning where I'm, I'm reading this story thinking, you know what? I don't, I don't think that I do a very faithful job of praying each day that God would protect me from temptation. I mean, I spend time praying every day and I talk to God every day, but this is one particular place where we see in Jesus, even Jesus relied on the father to protect him and to give him strength to stand in the face of what is tempting and difficult. And and I often don't do that. So that's an example of we're always reading the scriptures, asking this this question, Lord, where does this reveal a point of unlikeness to Christ in me? But the truth is scripture is not the only means the Spirit of God uses. He also uses our worship service like this. Every week when we come together, whether it be through a song, it could be through a prayer, or uh, an altar that someone gives, or through our time of teaching, that we are becoming uh, aware of more and more points in us of unlikeness, which is one of the reasons why it's so important that we really prioritize gathering together week after week after week. Another means that the Spirit of God uses to raise our awareness of points of unlikeness is in our relationships with one another. Um, it doesn't always feel good, but it's important when, when we have someone that that we love, someone that we know knows loves us, and they say things to like, hey, when you when you did this, when you said this, when you responded in this way, it, it hurt me, um, it seemed impatient or irritated or harsh, or it, it seemed unChristlike when when we have a conversation like that when when someone that we love brings that to our attention those kinds of conversations are heavy and they are humbling and it's very hard to hear that but we also need to be able to receive it as the spirit of god giving us the gift of becoming aware of these points of unlikeness now here's the thing awareness without action is worthless Let me say that again, because it's so important that we don't just prize awareness as like the end-all be-all, because awareness without action is actually worthless. Awareness alone cures nothing. It's what we do in response to that awareness that changes everything, which brings us to this second ingredient. Number two, embracing your cross means agreement with Christ's work all right, embracing your cross means agreement with Christ's work. So here's the thing. The decision to deny self and to die to these points of unlikeness in us, that's what it means to agree with him. So when he makes us aware of something of this point of unlikeness and we agree, I'm, I'm going to deny myself in this area. I'm going to die to these points of unlikeness. That's how we go about agreeing with him. Now, don't forget, we talked about this last week, but but spiritual formation, our formation, is first and foremost his work. It is first and foremost a work of God in us and through us. And we have a role to play. And our role is to open ourselves to agreement. So this this makes me think about, In Revelation chapter three, God is speaking to the church at Laodicea. And then in verse three, he says that, or verse 20, he says this, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. So notice that's, that's a point of, I'm, I'm of awareness. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that's agreement. I come into him. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. So I want you to notice there that, that Jesus doesn't like, he's not like a SWAT officer who just kicks the door down. He, he knocks, he invites, and I think it's so important. I was thinking about this this week. I can't think of a single place in the Gospels where Jesus forces himself on anyone or he forces change in someone's life. Instead, over and over again, he invites people to follow him. He invites people to repentance. He invites people to change. But he also gives people choice after choice after choice and honors their agency. And so the question is will we agree to pursue change and healing? Will we agree with Christ's work? Because sadly, oftentimes we are prone to resist rather than to agree so maybe maybe we become aware of a point of unlikeness and rather than agree with Christ's work and say you know what lord i i see this you have made me aware of this and so i want to deny myself in this area and i want to pick up my cross today and i want to die in this point of to this point of unlikeness rather than that we often resist that work and i think we do this for a number of complicated reasons but but one reason that we resist is fear. We oftentimes like we really don't trust that God is in fact good and that he is in fact trustworthy. And so because we are uncertain of that even though we are fearful, because we are fearful we resist that work in our lives. Another reason we resist is because of comfort. It's because of comfort. we're invited to to change. And change is very hard for us. By and large, people hate change. then every once in a while you meet that person that's like, no, 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 I love change. Like I've said that before. I love change. But here's what I've noticed about my own life. I'm almost always in control of that change. And, 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 and what's very uncomfortable is when change is, 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 is brought to us or forced upon us in a way that we are not in control of. And so sometimes as we realize these, we grow, uh, we grow in our awareness of a point of unlikeness and it, and it demands change of us. We think, you know what, I'm just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to enter into the discomfort of that, that change. So comfort keeps us resistant and where we are. A third reason that we resist is because of pride. Like sometimes we just honestly think that we know better than God. And it's embarrassing to admit that, but it's true. And so the thing is when we resist the Spirit's work, we welcome a life of woundedness. I want you to really think about that for a second. To resist the Spirit's work is to welcome a life of woundedness so i want you, i want you to think about it like this imagine that you had to go to the er for something okay let's just say it's it's nothing like super major but you're at the er and you're in the waiting room and you see a guy get brought into the er and he he like he obviously has a broken leg you know, like, like one of some maybe you've been watching a sporting event. Like there's been some football games where somebody takes a hit and then the camera looks at them on the ground and you can see their leg is just built in a, like, it. Like it, it's broken in a way. Like it's not supposed to go that way. You know, you see this guy while you're like, your leg is, your foot's not supposed to be pointing backwards. So someone comes in, obviously broken, obviously broken bone on their leg. Say so the doctor comes out, looks at that leg and goes, Whoa, I mean, we're, we're going to do. We're going to do an x-ray to figure out exactly what's going on, but it's very clear your leg's broken. I can tell just by looking at it. So we're going to reset it and we're going to put a cast on it and then it's going to heal properly. Imagine that that person turned around and said, no, 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 that's okay. I'm just going to go ahead and live with this broken leg. Like we, we genuinely can't even imagine that because it would be so insane So irrational that someone would do that. But here's the thing. When we resist the Spirit's work, that is exactly what we are doing. He raises our awareness of this point of unlikeness in us. And when we do not agree with Christ's work at that point of unlikeness, when we resist what it is that he wants to do, we are welcoming That wound in our life. This forming work is all about our healing. And so, when there is an area in our lives that we are resistant to the forming work of God, we welcome woundedness in our lives. And we have to see how this really is a matter of life and death. Listen again to verse 24 and 25. Jesus says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what? Does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? I come alive in Christ when I answer the daily call to embrace my cross. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this idea of embracing a cross, when I read these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, um, I tend to think about... This as I, I sort of read this as a call to to some sort of like dramatic stand, uh, and so I think about these like grand acts of of death to self, and and so I, I think about these pictures that I've been seeing all this week of these small pockets of U- Ukrainian Christians. There's one in my mind in particular of this small group of of Christian Ukrainian women that are huddled together uh, on their knees in prayer as the city is literally like being bombed around them. They are at war in being attacked in this city. And I think about like these, the, the the amazing and dramatic and faithful stand that is, I mean, they could just be running away. They could be freaking out. And instead they deny that, that tendency to self in there. And they say like, we're, we're going to pray and that's their cross to bear, to bear. And so when I read these words, I tend to think about like these big dramatic uh, uh, grand acts of death. And, and as I think about it, what I don't really want to embrace is the thousand little deaths that the Spirit of God invites me to every single day. When he invites me to exercise patience when I would rather be in a hurry, when something is not moving at the speed that I would prefer it be moving, that's an invitation to pick up my cross, to die to myself and to choose patience. When, when, when someone has wounded me or hurt me and I, I want to respond in kind, I, I don't want to pick up my cross and respond with grace and with forgiveness. When someone is talking to me and and. Obvious, and Honestly, I'm not like super interested in the conversation. I'm prone to my in in myself, I want to just check out and ignore what it is that this person's saying to me rather than pick up my cross and die to myself and be present and attentive and to listen. Sometimes I I don't want to be intentional with my time. And so we have all of these different, like thousand little desks that we're invited to every single day. And instead I want to choose comfort and self. But the truth is it's only those small daily deaths that prepare us for the big ones. And so I think One of the most important questions that should follow us as we leave this room this morning, that should lead the way for us throughout this week, and I think would really benefit being a front of mind question for us for the rest of our lives, is this, where can I die? If it's true that I come alive in Christ when I answer the daily call to embrace my cross, then I should be looking at every situation, Every relationship, every circumstance I find myself in, my eyes should always be open asking this question, looking for opportunity. Where can I die in this? So maybe right now you have a conflict that you're in the midst of, a tension, an, an issue in a relationship that you're struggling with, and there's something to work through in this. Maybe there's, it's time to ask this question, where, where do I need to die? What do I need to, to die to in this Maybe there is something happening in your life where your expectations have not been met and you're dealing with disappointment. Maybe there's an invitation to die to something in the midst of this. So I just want you to take an opportunity this morning. Before we even leave, we'll take a couple of minutes to be able to reflect on this. And I want you to think about your, your these various aspects of your life. And I want you to think about where is the Spirit of God making you aware of a point or of points of unlikeness to Christ in your life? And then will you agree to Christ's work by choosing to embrace your cross? We come alive in Christ only when we answer the daily call to embrace our cross. So where do you need to die? Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much for every one of these people I thank you for everyone who will be listening later this week and in the future, Lord. And and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with each of us, that you are working in each of us, that you are aware of every point of unlikeness to Christ inside of us. And Lord, I thank you for the patient compassionate gracious way that you don't make us aware of all of those points of unlikeness at once because it would overwhelm us and you know that and so instead you are careful and loving and and methodical in the way that you in your time and in your way you make us aware of areas in our life that we are not like Christ and then you invite us to agree with you in that work and to deny ourselves and to take up a cross daily, and to die to these points of unlikeness. And we cannot do this on our own. We need you. We need your help. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you would bring awareness, that you would move our hearts to a point of agreement, and that you would continue to form us more and more in the image of Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.